Hi, everyone. Matt Reitzel here with the Wealth Building with a Purpose show, the place where we talk about everything real estate investing with a special focus on wealth building. And today we've got an amazing episode for you. We host a, uh, a meetup in the Kitchener-Waterloo area called Tri-City Real Estate Investor Club. And today we hosted a meetup where we interviewed a local real estate investor named Kevin Reitzel, and he's got a wealth of experience over 20 years of investing in real estate in this area. So here's the uh, interview. Hope you enjoy. Excellent. Well, thank you for everyone for coming. I'm Matt Reitzel. This is Kevin Reitzel. Hello. Okay, so I actually have a little intro for Kevin. So Kevin has been a mega agent since 2002. He's an accredited buyer rep and a certified residential specialist mortgage consultant, computer systems manager, and has been the main speaker of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor Workshop since 2003, and his brother do that workshop. He has sat on the Keller Williams Advisory Board for Investors, in addition to being an integral member of the management team here at this office. Uh, Kevin is CEO, productivity coach, and mentor for the Jim Reitzel team. Kevin is a successful private real estate investor, property manager, and real estate coach. Please help me welcome uh, one of Waterloo's most respected real estate professionals, oh. Kevin Reitzel. Can you, go tell, can you go tell that to my wife? <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, Kevin, I appreciate you coming today. Thanks, Matt. The, the idea here, everybody, and we're live on Facebook and on Instagram as well, so um, really is just to you know get inside the mind of Kevin. And I have questions that I've sent to Kevin and we're going to ask him. And at the same time, if you guys have any questions, just put your hand up. We intend for this to be interactive and not a presentation. It's more of a conversation. So let's all learn something. So I guess, Kevin, just to start off, how long have you been investing in real estate for? It'll be 21 years now. Yeah. I had to calculate the year there. It'll be 21 years. Um, it was when I was, it was actually when I was 17 that I bought my first property with my brother so we both bought a condo together and I, I remember the age because the uh, I wasn't legally allowed to sign a contract no I was legally allowed to sign a contract but my signature wasn't binding because I wasn't 18 years old yet so we had to explain that to the seller at the time that yeah I want to buy this property but just so you know anytime between now and closing this guy can walk away because he's not 18 years old so that that was kind of neat yeah so that would be uh, that would be it. That would be nice. So, I guess why why are you investing in real estate? <laughs> so, I guess I probably have to answer the why for that property first. The why for that property was to get out of home. Um, <laughs> so that was the why, uh, and then it ended up it was actually a property to to move into and then turn into investment property uh, for that one. And then the why, I guess you're asking for a why generally investing in real estate, right? Why yeah, well, real I think, estate? I think it's why why that first property. And then also a question in my mind is why are you continuing? Like why do you hold on to the properties? Obviously you're still choosing to invest in real estate. Yep. So I guess the, that, that bigger why as well to this day. Yeah, and for me, uh, originally I think it was diversification. So I didn't, I didn't know anything. I still don't know much, but I didn't know anything about investment world. And all I heard was, you know, mutual funds and do some of this stuff and invest here. So I was doing a lot of that stuff out there. 
and then I got into real estate as well because it, it made sense to me. I like to look at things um, simply. I have a very simple mind. So I can also complicate things with spreadsheets and data, but I like to take it back to simple terms. And I looked at it that it was the only investment I could get that somebody else would pay for it. All the other investments, I had to pay for them. So I had to write a check every month. If I wanted a hundred grand in stocks, I needed a hundred grand. Or if I got a loan for a hundred grand to invest in those stocks, I needed to make the payments on the loan. Well, it's the only investment I could think of where I didn't have to make the payments on the loan. And it kind of didn't make any sense to me. And it kind of still doesn't. When you look at investing in real estate, I couldn't get a car today and say, okay, I got this brand new Corvette. Uh, it's a payment plan for three years. Here, you take the Corvette and make the payments, and then after three years, you walk away and I get the Corvette. <laughs> and you would go, well, no, I paid for the Corvette. I get to keep it. Well, investing in real estate isn't that way. Nobody actually wants it after. They don't go, I've been here for 20 years, I actually paid for this house. So it's my house now. No, that doesn't happen in real estate. They just walk away. And they want no part of it. And that's pretty cool because I would have right now 20 Corvettes if I could do that the Corvette way. And have somebody else pay for it and then give it back to me. Uh, so it was really that. It was looking at expanding my portfolio and I was looking at different options and I was looking at you know, borrowing money to invest, and I've done that, and borrowing money to invest in stocks or borrowing money to invest in mutual funds, and that makes sense, but I had to make the payments. And now here was where somebody else would make the payments, and it was crazy. Yeah, so that's, that's still why, and that still keeps me on track. When I think of it, that's simply. And some people can get caught up with, well, what if there's issues, or the what if, the what if, the what if. Well, I take it back to the, the bank scenario, if I were to borrow 100 grand from the bank and it was $1,000 a month to borrow to invest in mutual funds, and the bank said, it's 1,000 bucks a month, every month, we'll make 11 of those payments for you. You have to make one of the payments a year. Would you go for it? Well, yeah, I would take that investment loan. Yeah. Well, that's how I can look at real estate. If either my property isn't cash flowing or I'm gonna have a tenant issue, it's the same thing. They're just asking me to make one payment a year. I'll do that. Yeah. So it's just, again, looking at things simply. It's a, it's a very interesting perspective. I like that. Um, if you have one, I would say, I mean, what would be one of your greatest successes with investing in real estate? Sticking with it. That's it. Mm. So sticking with it is the greatest success. Because what I found over the years, especially dealing with clients and a lot of people, is it's boring. So investing in real estate is boring and it works. And when something is boring and it works, we look for something else that's fun. Because this is boring and it works. So you know what, I'm gonna sell these properties because I have this new idea. I have this idea or I wanna do this. Yeah, then you lose everything. And the, 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 the greatest success is sticking with it because it's boring. It's boring and it works. And that's even Gary Keller, uh, who's the owner of Keller Williams, and he's a billionaire in Austin, Texas, running Keller Williams. 
Because the hardest part of being successful is it's boring. Because I have to do the same thing every day. And I have to do what I don't want to do. Because that's what it takes to be successful. And he says, it's boring being a billionaire. Because I have to do the same thing every day to be successful. And that's the hardest part is sticking with it. Yeah, by far. Is sticking with it. So it's stuff like this, actually. So why I like coming to this is not only to, to reach out to other people, but it's for myself. It's selfishness, because it keeps me on my game. Like it's keeping you on your game, you're thinking about it now. Because we all have lives, we all have stuff to do. You know, I want to watch The Bachelor tonight with my wife. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about investing in real estate unless I'm doing something to think about it which is something like this, it just keeps it top of mind. And then even when I say some of the stuff that I say, I go, oh yeah, that's why I did it. So now let's go look for another one. Awesome, I'm just taking notes. Yes. Yeah. Great. Um, you don't have to take notes, you're recording it. <laughs> <laughs> I find when I write, it's just yeah, like, it's yeah. I love notes, so yeah. Okay, I, I guess we've talked about some successes. Would you say, I mean, what would be one of your greatest mistakes if you've had any with real estate investing? Not sticking with it enough. <laughs> so if I look back hindsight, that would be my greatest mistake is not doing more. Uh, and not that, so not that more, more, more is always better. I actually don't like that mentality in the world right now. I think if, if, if you're doing a good business, why do you have to go up 200% next year and up 200% the next year and up 200% the next year? I think you can be fine where you are. What was the question again? Just your but like the not a, success. A, a oh, it's mistakes. my greatest. The yeah. biggest mistake is not doing more. Yeah, the biggest mistake is not doing more. Um, I was talking before the class. There was we used to have no money down mortgages, so that we could get no money down on investment real estate. Well, of course, hindsight, I should have bought a lot more, but that hindsight is probably going to come in ten years from now where I go, why in 2019 didn't I buy more? Mm. Why didn't I do more in 2019? Because look at how easy it was in 2019. Mm. Now, we just don't think that because we're here now. Yeah. It just could be hindsight brings us back here. So yeah, not doing more when I could do more. So it's, because I can't predict the future. I don't know, but if I can buy a property now, I should buy a property now. Because I don't know how things are going to change next month or next year that I might not be able to. Mortgage rules might change. Something might happen. So just deal with what you know. Yeah. That's a really good point. We only know what we're dealing with right now. and We all try to predict the future. And it's, it's horrible. Because if I could predict the future, I'm not sitting here right now. I'm, I'm a lot richer than I am right now. If I can predict the future, I'm not sitting in this room on a Saturday morning. So stop trying to predict the future. Just deal with what we have now. Now, I can still look at the future, like I can look at, well, 200,000 people are coming to this region in the next short period. Well, that's, that's a good predictor of the future. Yeah, we're gonna grow, but I'm not trying to make minute things on mm -hmm. predicting the future yet. Deal with, deal with what's now. Yeah, deal with what you know yep. in the moment. Okay, what advice would you have for somebody who's just starting out with investing? Pull the trigger. Uh, pull the trigger and do it instead of just saying ready, 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 aim, 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 which I did for a couple years. Uh, says that all the time. 
Yeah, I've overheard you say that. Ready, fire, aim. That's the way you buy real estate. Because the, the only reason to wait is because I'm trying to predict the future. That's it. And that's dangerous. And that would be the only reason to wait and not buy. Is because I think the future is going to do this. Well, who cares what you think? You're wrong. doesn't matter. Because I'm wrong every time. And I study this stuff. I study statistics and everything. Most of the time I'm wrong. And I just acknowledge that. I go, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'll vouch for so that. So stop it. Yeah. You're a stats guy, that's for sure. Yeah. We've got all the charts and graphs. Um, okay. Um, I was going to say, what's your favorite property? I think maybe a better question would be, what types of properties in general yeah. are, are you interested in? Yeah, so for me personally, it's single family stuff. So uh, a condo, a townhouse, a single detached house, anything like that is just my wheelhouse now, or it's where I laser focused myself. That I, I started out with the, the small condo and then we went into multifamily stuff, uh, and then I went back to single family. Yeah. What would be your main reasons for doing that? So for me personally, it was quality of tenant. So uh, one of my main criteria is could I live there? So not would I live there right now in my life, but could I live there? And if I couldn't live there, I don't want to buy it. And that doesn't have to be a criteria for everybody. But my reason behind that was if I couldn't live there, then I'm not going to rent to me. So if I'm not renting to me, who am I renting to? It's probably somebody I don't see eye to eye with and somebody I can't have a conversation with because we would, we would be talking different languages. So I thought, if I could live in it, then I'm probably going to get me, and I like me, obviously, because I'm me, and me would probably be a good tenant. So, and then I found if good tenants, so if my quality of tenant is up, everything else kind of falls into place. If I have a good quality tenant. If I have a bad quality of tenant, everything falls apart. Yeah. So, so your main question is, could I live there myself? Yep. And Yeah, not necessarily would I live there right now with, with whatever my family, but could I live there? Yeah. Some places, could I live in that, that, that moldy basement apartment? No. I'm not going to live there. So why buy it? And that's just my view. Yep. Yeah. Well, it is nice to be able to get you as a tenant, basically. Yeah. You're, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. What well, what would you be most proud of? Proud is a tough word for me. So uh, yeah, proud's a tough word for me. I don't have much pride. <laughs> um, so if I had to think about it, it's sticking with it again. Because yeah. it's the tough. It is. It's the toughest thing, and I just see it. I see it over time. I saw it in 2008. The clients would go. The market's about to crash. We want to sell. And I go, don't. And they go, yeah, the market's about to crash. We want to sell. And I go, okay, let's sell. And they sold their properties. And now I look at it today and I go, well, look where they are. I go, that was three million cash. They'd have three million cash in their pocket right now if they didn't. And I can point to a lot of those. So it's the sticking with it, because it's boring. And a lot of the people wanted to invest in something more fun. And they don't look at it that way, that it's fun. I look at it that way, because I see it from the outside. You're going there because it's exciting. 
Well, exciting also loses you all your money. Is what exciting does. So sticking with it. Yeah. That's a good point, and that's that's one of the main, one of the big reasons why I really love being in business with you guys is that it's funny because we're investors first, and then we're also realtors. Mm -hmm. So when we're meeting with clients who, you know, they maybe they've lost focus on what they're doing with their properties, yeah. and they come to us and they're like, okay, these aren't working out for whatever reason. They got their coworker talking yeah. in their ear or something, like the guy we met with yep. a couple of days ago who has six properties and he's thinking like this isn't going well yep and as realtors we're convincing him not to sell his properties yeah. it's just kind of a funny thing when you're investor focused yep yeah and you can only listen to who's talking so that's why we like to talk uh, so you can only listen to who's talking and most of the people that talk are my mother-in-law <laughs> that has nothing and I'm her retirement plan so that's, that's the people to talk, or like the coworker here. So the coworker, this guy came in, is looking at all the stuff, and his coworker's telling him to sell, and he's having, he's having an issue, and his coworker's telling him to sell, and he really wants to sell, so he came in to, to sell his properties. And I said, well, how many rental properties does the coworker have? He said, none. Well, how much money does he have? Well, none. I said, oh, you're listening to him? But that's who we listen to because it's the only person talking. Mm -hmm. So if it's the only person talking is the coworker that has nothing, eventually we have to listen because it's the only person talking. So they needed to talk with us, and it was pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's why we're here. And then you realize he was a millionaire. Yeah, he was a millionaire. Literally. Yeah, with, his, with his equity. He thought he was broke, and he's a millionaire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He was like, yeah, my, my coworker was like, oh, you have six properties. You must just have fat yeah. pockets. And he was like, no, not really. It doesn't feel like it. And then we calculated what his properties are worth and how much he owes on mortgages, and he's like, he's a net worth millionaire. And he didn't even yep. he didn't even realize it because he didn't look at it from he's that way. He's telling you turns his mind around and he's not going to sell. Oh, he's probably going to buy two properties this year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, you educated him. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah, because then we talked. So Kevin, could could you name a person, maybe one or multiple, who's had a tremendous impact on you as an investor or someone who's yeah. been that voice? So it would be my brother and my dad. So Jeff Reitzel and Jim Reitzel. Um, just to, to, that we keep each other on track. And, and we, we punch each other and push each other a little bit all the time. And um, Jim and Jeff, myself, have kept this going. So And I think that's helped because if it's just one of us we can get down and something happens in life and you can just go on a negative slant with things. But then if there's three of us, we can kind of kick each other up and keep it going and keep talking about it uh, and keep educating people, which keeps us on our game. So yeah, I think having that, that kind of support group of each other. Accountability partners and yeah. people who are on the same path yeah, all focused, right? yeah, people who aren't just the mother-in-law talking, mm -hmm. that there's other people that I can talk to, because most investors don't talk. M most rich people don't talk, and you don't know they're rich. Because if you go in a lot of, well, if you go into a lot of ritzier neighborhoods, and you look at the cars, a lot of them aren't fancy cars. Um, and a lot of people that are rich won't be in those neighborhoods, and even, they'll just be wearing baseball caps and ripped jeans. 
and you won't know that they're an investor and that they're a multimillionaire. And the reason they don't talk is because then my mother-in-law starts talking. That's the reason investors won't talk. Because if I talk in a regular room, there's going to be 10 people that say no, 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 or that's risky, or this is, or I heard this, or I read this on the news, or Facebook said this. If you don't have experience in it, I don't care what you have to say. So then that's why investors don't talk, unless we're in a room like this, which is awesome. Yeah. Excellent. So how, how do you go about determining rents and determining value on properties when you're looking at them? Yeah, determining rents for me has always been a, a, simple, a simple thing um, with either just looking around on like Kijiji or Craigslist, but looking on Kijiji to see what places are renting for, or what I like to do if I'm interested in a place is I actually put an ad up on Kijiji that's a, a fake ad. So it'll say um, three-bedroom house on Avalon for rent for this, and I'll put the details, and then I just see what message is coming. So if I put it up at two grand a month rent, I see, do I get any responses? I don't reply to anything, I just leave it. And then if I get no responses, I can put it up a week later at 1800. And this is a property I don't own yet. I'm just trying to feel. So then I put it up at 1800 and I get 20 people that inquire. Well then I know, oh yeah, 1800 probably works there. So that's really how I determine rents is, is by looking around ads because there's no central database and then posting my own kind of fake ads. Yeah. And then for values? Oh, for value for the property. So value for the property, I'm just looking at comparables and I try not to put too much emphasis on getting money off because I've learned that over the years. Mm. So it's not to say that... Um, then I don't want to get money off. But what I don't want to do is, is burn myself into not buying a place and not being able to buy any place and then them going up in value. Because what can happen if I say, well, my criteria is I need 10% off market value because that's a smart investor. Well, that's great. I would be using that criteria for the last five years and have not acquired a property. And all the properties went up by 150 grand. And I go, oh, so by looking to get a deal, I lost out on 150 grand. So that, that's where that can get me every once in a while. So I'll look and make sure the, the property is priced fairly. Now, that depends on what property it is. So if this is a two-bedroom condo that's beautiful, yeah, I don't mind paying market value for it. If it's a trashed, detached house, I need to put 50 grand in, that's going to be different. Yeah, I need money off. So it depends on the property as to determining value. I just look at comparables, what other places have sold, but I also try not to put too much emphasis on it. Because that's another thing. As an investor, when I bought the condo at 150 grand and now they're 225, that's hard to stomach as an investor. And it's hard to go, yeah, I want to buy that now. Because I'm paying 75 grand more than the last one. Well, that's not a good deal. So then I don't buy it. And then it's 275. And then it's 300. And I go, why the heck didn't I buy it? And, and the reason I say this is because I've been through it. The first condo I bought was $49,000. 
And then when they were $69,000, I said, of course you can't buy them. It's $69,000, it's way too much money. And then there were 100, like 120, 160, 180. And when do you go? Now it's a good deal. That's tough as an investor. But what I see is then the new investors come in, buy them at 180, and I'm going, what are they doing? They're crazy. And then, then they're two and a quarter. And you go, oh, maybe I should have bought them at 69. And that's what happens as an investor. We can get uh, pigeonholed into prices. So it's why I'm saying I don't put too much emphasis on it because it, it'll hurt us in the long run. And don't be afraid to pay for market value. Yeah. If not, you'll just get hurt in the long run because it's not about that. It's not about fair market value. It's about debt pay down, price appreciation. Now, now, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not gonna pay 50 grand over asking, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't wanna be the person who's going out, you look at a property, it's a good opportunity, and then you offer, like you said, 10% less because that's your criteria, yep. and then you don't get it. And then it's another week, you see another opportunity, you do the same thing. Yeah, and I like that word, opportunity, because uh, we confuse that with deal, and, and I like, for me, a deal is an opportunity. It's the same thing. Even though deal in a lot of our heads is money off, to me, a, a good deal is a good opportunity. And an opportunity can be that condo now that I paid 49000 for is two and a quarter. Well, it's a good opportunity right now. I can actually see it. If I, if I kind of remove my personal self, I go, those are actually a good deal at two and a quarter. Because brand new, they'd be four. They'd be 400000 brand new. Right now, they're two and a quarter. I go, what's well, a good deal? So yeah. How did you go about deciding what criteria that you wanted to focus on? Obviously you're you're focused on single family. Yeah. Now and you like townhouses and apartments yeah, so condos. It wasn't really a financial thing. It was more of a lazy thing. Because I actually think with real estate, especially over the last 20 years, anything you bought, you look smart. And um, with values going up the way they have in the market, th being the way it has over the last 20 years, it's actually covered a lot of people's errors and mistakes. Because it's anything you've purchased over the last 20 years has done extremely well. So for me it was laziness. If I got a tenant like me, and somebody that would look after the property like me, I'm likely gonna have less to do with the property. Uh, so that was me focusing on single family stuff was laziness. Um, and then the, the financial criteria in there would be, what I'm looking at there is what I need to sell. So an exit strategy from single family. So um, if I bought a triplex and then something happened in my life where I needed some money, I couldn't sell a part of the triplex. Whereas if I bought three condos, I could sell one of the condos and still have two of the condos. It was also um, exit strategy in that you never know what's gonna happen. So a year from now, I might be living in Thailand and working there. That's how life can change. So I understood that and single family was an easier exit strategy because they're easier to sell because you're not necessarily just selling to investors. You're selling to everybody. And then if the economy turned, so if the economy crashed, which luckily it hasn't, but if the economy turned and I needed to sell, well, single family is easier to sell. 
because investors dry up real quick. When the economy flattens, they'll dry up, and now the only people looking to buy your place are investors, and investors want a deal if it's um, not a single-family place. So, yeah. To, to that, if I can. Yeah, if we can absolutely. Yeah. Out, yeah. Um, you mentioned single-family, but what yep. about like, dovetailing strategies a little bit? So, the niche that we've kind of carved out yep. was take a single-family home, you know, uh, circa 1970s, maybe early yep. 80s, bungalow with a side entrance, turn it into a duplex. Yeah. So, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, obviously you're the one with 20-plus years, yep. but... You, know, you still get to kind of sell that as a single family. Oh, yeah. If anything, given the rising real estate prices, now they've got a mortgage helper. So is that kind of the best of both worlds? Better cash flow still? Yeah, and it's yeah. it's why I kind of preface that with anything you do is awesome. So anything you do in real estate. Like even if 20 years ago I bought a contaminated gas station site, it's going to be worth a heck of a lot more right now and I'll be rich just by buying it. So... I'm not saying my criteria is the best. It's actually not because I'm, I'm not looking at all the financial aspects and yeah, converting places into duplexes. Yeah, you're gonna make, you can make a hundred grand just by converting it. And then of course your rent's gonna be a heck of a lot higher than my rent. So money-wise, a whole bunch of other strategies are better. But for me, this is me personally and my laziness aspect, I didn't want it. So, uh, and I've, I've done duplex conversions and, I, and I've done a lot of, and I still do it, where I'll buy a place, convert it to a duplex, get tenants in and sell it. Um, I just don't keep it because of my laziness factor, that I don't want tenant issues or dealing with property. And that's it. So yeah, no, my way is, is not the best way. My way is kind of the laziest way. And it works too. That's what I like. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so that's good. That's great. What stage of your investing journey are you at currently? Yeah, my stage always changes. It does. <laughs> it always changes. Because uh, at first I wanted to own uh, five properties, and then of course I got there, and then and then it was ten, and I got to ten properties. And then I thought my my goal then was to eventually was to go into big buildings. That was my goal, and then I got to 10, and I went, well, what does 11 get me? Do I need 11, or am I gonna be okay with 10? And at that time in my life, I went, yeah, I think I'm gonna be okay with 10. So how about I just stop? Because that's just what I wanna do. And I'll just let them work. And I'll just let them work, and I'm gonna go off here and do some other stuff. And that's just where I was in my life. And I went, yeah, let's just do that. And actually, let's have those 10 pay themselves off. Let's just pay it off, who cares? Let's just let them go and let it be. And that's where I was, and that's fine. And now I'm actually probably more back into it. That I'm going, okay, yeah, now I, I think I have a reason now to buy some more properties, so now let's buy some more properties. Is that the wisest decision? No, but I also have to live. I, I can't do everything the wisest way. Well, or else I probably wouldn't be driving a car or eating anywhere or doing anything. So hindsight fixes everything, but it's wherever you are, work for that. Don't work for this, this somebody else's dream out there. 
So it's where you are on your journey is okay. It's just doing something. You're ahead of it. You just have to do something. That's it. Yeah. What's your why? So the why now is more charity oriented. So we do um, we do work in Africa, and my brother does a lot of work in Africa, and it's seeing more of that and wanting to do more. So to provide more. That's it. Yeah, and that's hard. So if I have more, then I can give more. Yeah. Yeah, it's what can I do with this money? Because I know I can do good. Because I know who, the people I'm working with in Africa at, the, at the, um, the orphanage, I'm working directly with the people at the orphanage. If I give them a dollar, it goes towards paying for that kid's school. And I like that. Yeah, so I know and I have a purpose now that, yeah, money can go there. And I can do a lot of good with this money rather than just donating it to charity where some of it goes elsewhere. So yeah, that's a why that is, that is getting me going. Yeah. It sounds like it's uh, more of a newer found yeah. why to me. Mm -hmm. Like yep. what, yeah. what caused that to change for you? I guess just, just doing and seeing the impact you can have. Seeing the impact you can have with nothing. Uh, it, 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 it's crazy. Um, going over there, uh, um, yeah, I guess I'll talk about her. Later runs a school uh, in Gleefi in Ghana, and it's, uh, Gleefi's a burning dump, and she runs a school on a burning dump, and people live on this dump because that's how they get uh, money. They scavenge off the dump, so she runs a school there to try to get the kids off the dump, and she got cancer. And she never bothers us. Um, and we always visit her. She got cancer and we went over there. Where she had both of her breasts removed. And she took off the band-aid and they didn't sew it up. Because there's no money, there's no public health care. So it was just skin, open. An open wound for a month. And we're going, what the heck's going on here? Well, there's no public health care. You've got to pay for everything. And they have no money. So we said, well... What, I said, whatever it takes, you're going to the hospital and you're getting these cancer drugs. So how much for the cancer drugs for two years and to get you to the hospital? It was 500 bucks Canadian. 500 bucks Canadian to get her two years. sewed up and two years of cancer drugs. And I went, what the heck? So it's just, it's living through that now and, and seeing that and then seeing the impact very little can happen. It's one, crazy. One great motivator. Yeah. Is to be doing it for someone else. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the biggest. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I guess our why is changing. For sure. What stage you are in your life? Yep. Right? So, We're so. not robotic. Yeah. And we can't expect to be robotic. We can't expect to just follow this spreadsheet because mm -hmm. this is what I have to do. No, we have lives. And we're beings, and we have to do things. We can't just do everything by the book. Yeah, if we did, everything would be awesome. Yes, if I bought five properties a year, which I probably could do or could have done, for, yes, it would be awesome. But I also have to live my life, and I have to breathe and sleep. So, yeah, I get that, too. And, and I think that human nature is a lot that, that is something that not a lot of us talk about. We just talk about, here's what you've got to do, and this is what you do, and then you'll get this. Well, no, there's got to be a why behind it or you won't do it. Yeah. 
So with your new why then, where do you see yourself taking your investment portfolio to? Hmm. Do you have a vision of that? No, I don't yet. I don't, so, so far my vision is just my current vision of buying single family properties, but I don't know if that'll open up into something else. I just, I don't know yet. Yeah. Cool. Well, any last thoughts to share with us before we wrap it up? Oh, I, I could speak for hours on this <laughs> stuff. So, no, I won't. I'll take any questions if anybody has some. Yeah, sure. We'll open it up if anybody's got yeah. it. Um, how do you know what property will make a lot of money? Like buying a, a plot of land, for example. Yeah. Can you predict um, that 10 years from now based on, you know, how the... Yeah, so you're... Your question was, how do you know if a property will make a lot of money, yeah. like a plot of land? Right. So to me, it's speculating. Uh, and to me, speculating is not investing, it's gambling. And that's okay, I can gamble. And I've gambled on stuff where I go, okay, I'm going to take this 50 grand, and now this isn't an investment, this is a gamble, which means I could lose everything. Now, the nice thing about real estate is I won't lose everything, uh, but it's a gamble. So a gamble, for instance, is between Guelph and Kitchener. <laughs> so between Guelph and Kitchener, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, people bought up all the land, saying, we just have to sit on this land because Guelph and Kitchener are eventually going to merge. And they're just going to grow closer and closer together, so let's buy this land. Hasn't moved. Not an inch. They haven't moved in 70 years. An inch. And for 50 years, they've been talking about expanding that highway and making it awesome. Hasn't moved an inch. Well, so they've still done okay on that land, not like they wanted. That land's probably doubled in value in 20 years. They probably expected it to go up by 100 times. So that's where it gets into speculating is I don't know, and then things can change. Especially if I'm looking at it as an investment. So if I go okay, I'm going to invest. I know this mall's going in or this development's going in and I'm going to buy this piece of land and then the new government gets elected and cancels the development. Well, I'm not big enough to sustain that as, as an investor, meaning I don't have enough money. If I were a, a multi-wealth generational family that, yeah, don't mind sitting on it for another hundred years. Peter Gilligan. And then I'll make it open. Yeah, yeah. So, um, to me, that's not investing, that's speculating. If I'm buying a piece of land and expecting it to make money in the future. Is, there a, is that a bad thing? No, no. Who, who is a good speculator? Well, it's that I have, to, I have to be able to sustain the storm then. So I have to be able to sustain anything that happens with that property with no income, mm -hmm. which can be hard. So... And this is stuff that will happen over time. So I buy the piece of land. Well, now the piece of land next to me was contaminated. I didn't know about this. Now, it turns out that contamination has been coming onto my land for 20 years. So now my land's contaminated, and I have to spend 400 grand. Well, now, now I've, had, soil then, right? I've had no cash flow. Well, I, I tested the soil when I bought it. <laughs> and then he's been contaminating me for 20 years. Right. Okay, so sue him. Well, he doesn't exist anymore. I'm spending 400 grand on my land now to clean it up with no cash flow. So that can work if I have the money. It's kind of like um, 
if we're talking about commercial investing. So the building we used to be in, uh, 871 Victoria, the Stabler building over in Victoria, we were in there seven years ago as Keller Williams. We were um, 12 grand a month rent was our rent there, which was normal. Since we left, it's still vacant. It's vacant. That's been seven years at 12 grand a month rent. Somebody's been writing that check. Well, the owner's been writing the check. It's just that the owner's pockets are big enough that he doesn't notice it going down a little bit each month because there's enough else. Well, if I don't have enough else to keep me floating, it can take me down. So yeah, I can buy that piece of land and speculate, but I also have to keep the land floating until it pays off, which is hard. Whereas with residential investment, I have rental income. I kind of know I buy that condo. And what I like about an apartment condo is 30 years from now, that condo is going to look the same or better because it's a condo. Somebody's taking care of it. So that, to me, isn't speculating. That's investing. So... Yeah, the, the speculating I'm okay with, I just have to have big enough pockets, which I personally don't have or don't want to dedicate the resources to. But yeah, that's just the scary part of it, that people don't talk about. Because people don't talk about that stuff. An investor won't talk about that piece of land they bought for 100 grand and then had to spend 400 grand cleaning it up. They'll never talk about that one. <laughs> you just have to have big enough pockets to survive it. Whereas with residential real estate, I don't need big enough pockets to survive it because it's going to keep itself survive. And nothing can go wrong. I'm not going to have a $10,000 cleanup even at my condo. Yeah. Does that answer a little? Yeah. I, yeah. And, it, and again, this is all me personally. This is all my personal thoughts, and I think that's why you want me up here. This isn't necessarily what you should be doing. These are just my personal thoughts. Yeah. Has there ever been another partner that you've worked with besides your brother and your father? Um, no, and actually I don't even work with them. Okay. So I've done that on purpose that we don't buy properties together. Except that first condo. Okay, that's that was when I was 17. Right. Other than that, he actually bought me out of that one because then he moved into it with his wife and he bought me out of it. He bought me out of it at $67,000 and then I was too stupid because I went, 67 grand, these places are way overpriced. I'm not buying another one. Yeah. So that was that. Um, so, yeah, since then, I don't buy properties with people. Again, it's a personal thing. Uh, I, what I find, if you have a group, so let's say the three of us want to invest in real estate. I go, yeah, let the three of us invest in real estate. You buy a condo, I'll buy a condo, you buy a condo. Instead of the three of us buying three condos together, let's just each buy a condo. And what we can do is still work together and talk together, but then when Curtis gets a girlfriend and, and wants to move to Antigua for the rest of his life, I'm not stuck dealing with Curtis in Antigua because he's not a part of my portfolio. When Curtis then gets divorced from this Antigua lady, um, <laughs> I'm predicting your future. Oh my God, he is. Now I have yeah. Curtis and his ex-wife. Antigua lady. Yeah. Is my business partner. Know who to avoid. Um, or stuff happens. Curtis goes bankrupt. 
Now, what does that do to my three properties when one of the owners is going through bankruptcy? Because stuff happens in life. We can't pretend stuff doesn't happen. So that's why I'm not a fan of partnerships if you don't need it. Not a partnership to have a partnership, and definitely not a partnership where somebody has the money and somebody has the hammer. Those are partnerships I don't like. The person with the money, go buy the hammer. Don't partner up with the person with the hammer. And these are personal preferences. It is. Yeah. It's totally personal. I get, so I get how I could have made more money over the years, likely, partnering up. That I could have done bigger projects and bigger things. It's, again, my laziness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I go, I can do it on my own, and I know I'll be okay, so I've secured me now. I'm okay. And that's kind of the way I took it. Rather than, I want to be Jeff Bezos. Because I don't. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to meet him right now. He's not in a good place right now. <laughs> yeah, can you really say that, though? Well, still, yeah, he's still going to have Can you really say a guy that is going to have a minimum of $50 billion at the end of the day that he's not doing very well? <laughs> well, that's what it was So, yeah. He's only still the richest man in the world. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She's gonna be like second, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Right now. Did you have a question as well? Yeah. Um, what advice or strategies would you have for a new investor in this area and in today's market? Yeah. Keep it simple. So keep it simple and do something. Yeah. Do something because it doesn't matter. I can go in this market. Well, it's always this market. And so what, it always is. And what are your keys to keeping it simple? So buying something simple, uh, meaning not getting into something too complicated at first when I don't know it. So not going into a changing a place into a triplex or something like, well, duplex conversion actually can be simple, but you are getting, if you wanted to get your hands dirty, but just buying a condo, buying a two bedroom condo. Mm -hmm. And that's as simple as it gets, because with a two bedroom condo, all you do is you get a tenant in and you get 12 post dated checks and you, don't hear from them for another year when you need 12 more. Because there's nothing to go wrong. There might be a tap that breaks, but that's it. There's nothing else. I don't, I don't need to worry about lawn people or anything. Um, the other advice I would have for somebody getting in is get a property manager. So a lot of people are on the wagon that get a property manager when I can no longer uh, do it myself. So when I'm too overwhelmed, now I get a property manager. It's kind of the adage out there. And I think differently. I go, why do I want to learn everything a property manager knows for one property? I don't want to learn their job inside and out and their career for one property. Maybe I'll learn, I'm willing to learn that for 10 properties, but not for one. Mm -hmm. So for one, I'm going to hire somebody to do it. It's kind of like, if I'm getting divorced, I'm going to hire a lawyer to do it. If I'm going to get 10 divorces, I might figure out how to do it myself. <laughs> but, but we look at it the opposite way in real estate. We go, well, once I have enough, I'll get a property manager. No, she's, she's sick right now. She has the flu, so she's not watching this. She's okay. <laughs> um, it's on the net, it's on the net. <laughs> yeah, so we look at it that way, that yeah, if, I have, if I'm overwhelmed, then hire somebody. I go, no, hire somebody now. Why do I want to learn how to evict a tenant, find a tenant, do credit checks, do reference checks, find contractors, do all of that stuff for one property? No. Would you add 
some due diligence in there, though? Like, would you say, obviously, keep it simple, but, I mean, it's got to at least net neutral, right? Oh, or for sure. Cash no, the, the, the numbers still have to work. Yeah. No, I'm not buying a condo with $1,200 a month condo fees when the condo's going to rent out for $1,200. Well, I still have mortgage and property taxes to pay and everything else. So, no, math still has to work. But what I don't do is focus my main decisions on math. I focus my main decisions on my criteria, so keeping it simple and could I live there. And then the math still has to work out. So it doesn't matter if those criteria, because there's a lot of places I go, I could live there. They're $1.5 million. <laughs> well, that, no, the math doesn't work out, so that property's gone now. So yeah, the math still has to work out. Speaking of that, because I seem to yeah. see a plethora of them coming out on the market, like older condos, and it seems like maybe the condo board didn't do a good job, yeah. there's a lack of reserve funds, you know, condo fees have skyrocketed, that's probably why people are getting out of them, but like, are you going to see any adjustment coming on that? Like how, so they're not attracted to buyers, obviously. So what, it, what it, a condo is an interesting thing. Um, it's almost like where society's gone to blame others. That we like to blame others and push off blame. Because a condo is those owners. There's no magical system keeping everything accountable. So if there's 20 units in a condo, it's 20 owners that run that condo. Now if they choose to hire a property manager, which almost all condos do, they hire a property manager then to collect the condo fees and hire the grass cutting guy and look after the books. But if those 20 owners don't manage their money right, then yeah, it's on them. It's on those 20 owners that the condo fees went up because they weren't looking after things, they were being lazy. And that's okay. So, but they gotta deal with that now. They tend to blame, those 20 owners tend to blame the condo board or blame somebody. No, it's you. It's like if you had 20 houses on your street and you all let them go. That's you as condos. Now you gotta do something to bring it up. So, yeah, I think there'll be a breaking point with some, or there's an, there's an investor opportunity for somebody that wants to do work in some of these condos. So here's a, a secret investment opportunity for somebody that wants to do work. I could go into some of these condo buildings now where they're 180 grand for a unit but knew that unit would be 500 grand, meaning if it was in a new build downtown Kitchener. Mm -hmm. And there's that discrepancy out there. Well, something's gotta give there. A lot of times it's the condo fee, keeping that building down. That those places should be 300 grand, but they're 180 because the condo fee is 1,000 a month. Well, if I could get in there and buy some of those units at 180 and then go to the board with a proposal and say, hey, if we each pitch in 20 grand to the reserve fund, we'll pad up the reserve fund, we'll get some work done that we need to get done here, and the condo fee will go from 1,000 a month to 300 a month now, because we're each dumping in 20 grand. Now, of course, not everybody here has 20 grand. So what we could do is do a loan program, but we know after this 20 grand is spent, everybody's property will go up in value by 120 grand. Makes sense. How about all of us owners, can we vote on this and agree on this? And I'll make everybody 100 grand in this room. Mm -hmm. 
by us spending 20. And you could actually do that in a condo, and I think you could do it where you made money off of it. Because if you're proposing this, you could then be the general person or something, because that would work. It would instantly raise the value of those condos if the condo fee went down. And we know it. So if I can show it to y'all on paper, all you condo owners, we can all make a bunch of money. What kind of building are you doing this with? I'm not. Why not? Because I don't want to do the work. I'm lazy. That's why I was giving out <laughs> some tip for somebody to do. And there's a lot of condos you could do it with. Twenty. Lots of buildings right now. Twenty nine West. Yeah, there you go. Twenty nine West is another one. Yeah. Um, Twenty nine West. That's an intriguing building. Well, they're they're really low price, and really the only reason there is the hallways look like a prison. Yes. In Twenty nine West. Yes. So if I could go in there and say, hey, it's ten grand a unit. We're all putting into the reserve fund, and we'll beautify these hallways. Would be lighting. Yep. So we'll beautify the place. It'll bring up the value. You'll all spend ten grand, and we'll all make seventy. How about it? But it takes somebody to do that work, mm -hmm. and you could do it over and over and over again. I think it's a business opportunity, and so this is me talking off the cuff now as a business opportunity. But you could go in and ask for a percentage of that if you wanted. That you're a consultant, I wouldn't say anything wrong with that. You're making everybody seventy grand or a hundred grand. Hey, here's how I can make you. I have. I could actually get the financing. So you don't have the twenty grand. Here, I'll lend it to you. Give me ten percent of your profit. Whatever it is, it's a business opportunity for somebody. But you got to do work. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I think that answers that question of what's Absolutely. the opportunity there. Yeah. Is go do something about it. It's a good problem. And people can make a lot of money. You could buy four units. And then do it, and you make four hundred grand. And there's some on the market right now, twenty nine, and it's sixty four. Yep. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, twenty nine West. The only issue is the hallways there. They look like a prison. The units are beautiful. They're all like a thousand, eleven hundred, twelve hundred yeah, square feet. Good. It's a nice building. Yeah. Any other questions? Can I add to? Yeah. I'm not sure what your name is. Hadjer. Hadjer. My name is Brenda. Um, so I'm not sure how new you are in investing, like new new. Yeah. So um, if I some if I would have asked that question and someone would have given me the perfect answer ten years ago, um, what I've done is made a lot of money in that ten years. But um, if I would have had investment calculators, um, joined an investment club sooner, um, surrounded myself mm -hmm. with like-minded people found a good mortgage broker that actually invests in properties mm -hmm. and I joined Bigger Pockets. I'm not sure if you know what Bigger Pockets podcast is. Just go on YouTube, look look up Bigger Pockets. Mm -hmm. I started following way back in the day and I watched the first one where Brandon Turner had lived in his parents' basement eating Cheetos and had to borrow money for his first property. He now has just he, he hasn't um reached 100 properties yet, but he's at 98, I think, in like eight years or something like that. He has now almost 100 properties. Um, so number one, go on bigger pockets, join an investment uh, group, networking group. Um, I'm not, uh, this is my first time at yep. yours, but I go to one in Burlington called The Right Club, and I'm not sure if you guys know about it. That, that club is killing it. Like they have somebody from every area in real estate 
they're so helpful. They give you so much information. Uh, Ybo and McKeever were just at the last one. When I first started going to it a year ago, there were 100 people, 75 to 100 people. The meeting we just had last, uh, this week. With John Sagan? John's the, yeah. well, it's not his club. No, yeah, but yeah, he, yeah. Was he was there. Was yeah. He was there. Yeah. Yeah. There was 165 people there. They're they're pushing out the door, you know what I mean? They, there were so many people there. It's going to keep growing. Two meetings ago, we had one of the tiny homes on the parking lot actually brought in a tiny home and the builders of it. That one hit it out of the park too, but we got to go through and, and um, check out tiny homes as an investment. Um, you know, the people want to start buying um, those shipping containers, so people will get up and talk about how to do that and how to finance it, how to research it. So find a good club that really resonates with where you want to go. Number one is is find a, a yep. group and attach yourself to it and, and meet the right people, and you'll do really well. Yeah, I like how you said hang out with like-minded people. Yes. Yeah, it matters who's talking into you. Yeah, and yeah. like you said about your mother-in-law, you don't want to hang out yep. with people that are <laughs> well, I mean, are, hang out are, with aren't speaking yeah. your language. Yep. And as soon as you meet one, attach yourself, connect with them, find out who they're hanging out with, and then go there, and you'll grow exponentially, like in a very fast time. And actually, the calculators is a big one. Bigger Pockets has um, rental property calculators, flip fur calculators, all those calculators. I wish we had their model here, and I don't know if you guys can build one, or um, if you're familiar with it, mm -hmm. you can do an investment calculation in under five minutes on that thing, and yeah. know if a property is good or bad. I would like a Canadian version of that, if you guys can build one. <laughs> I'm gonna look at what they have and Please. see how it compares to mine. Yeah, so, I yeah. think they have like five calculators, and yep. you can watch them, they'll give you an example of how to go through it. Bang, bang, bang. In under five minutes, you can value a property, whether it's a good flip, a good rental property, a good fur, a buy and hold, whatever your strategy is. Like five minutes, I, I watch yep. them. But it's American-based, so I, and you get five free, so you can go on and try five yeah. for, your, for yourself. But if you guys, Keller here, can build a model like that, you can charge for it. I'd pay for it. Well, we use, um, there's two apps. One, one's called Evaluator, and then one's, it's called Flip. They're like yeah, 60 bucks. Fixers. Yeah. yeah, it's like 60 bucks on the iPad, and that's, that's how I underwrite properties for clients and for, and for ourselves. Um, and, and it takes literally like, you know, income expenses, you know, how much you're putting down, price, they get projection. I mean, like, it gives you projections for the returns for 30 years. Yeah. And that app, I think, was a one-time fee of like 60 bucks. On that it. was which, a which one of them? Um, it's called Evaluator. Oh. Evaluator. And then I think they, you can buy them um, kind of tandem with the other one. It's actually called Evaluator. and you build something like that into your website, you could add value or actual So um, it gives you and stuff, right? Like, yeah, Curtis, like, go yeah, build a website. <laughs> yeah, so it's called it's called Evaluator, which is right there. Just okay. the actual word, yeah. And then I'm sure if you go into the iTunes store or whatever, it will show the flip one, because then there's the exact same app for if you're flipping stuff. And it's Canadian-based? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And then this book I would, I would highly recommend as well. I don't know, like, who... Like, who in here has read this book? Um, I have it on audio, but I also have. Yeah, so I'd say out of all the investment books, like this is this is it. Okay. So Gary Keller, founder of the company, that doesn't really matter. He went out and interviewed 120 investors and put the concepts and models into a book. 
the reason why I really like this book and why we really love this book is that all of them had a net worth of a million dollars in real estate. So it's not like somebody's opinion on how to get wealthy in real estate. These are all guys yeah. that have a net worth of a million dollars, all 120 of them, and then they just put the concepts into a book. So like, this is like the best book, and I think this is like 25 bucks on Amazon or whatever. Mm -hmm. This is the book that I, I consistently refer to. Like, I mean, I've read this like a dozen times. Yeah, and I like research-based books, because yeah. a lot of it is Kevin's way to invest in real estate. So here's, here's Money Matters by Kevin, and it's Kevin's opinion on the way to invest in real estate. Whereas this is not Gary's opinion on how to invest in real estate. He interviewed 120 investors and put together the best ideas. And that's the same thing with the flip book, right? Yep. Like that book, it's completely, it's completely yeah. research-based, so it's not just Bob's opinion on how do you go and flip properties. Mm. Yep. It's, it's a total research book. So anyways, mm. we're over 11 o'clock here. We're going to leave the floor open at the end if people want to chat and whatever. But um, any other remaining questions at all or for Kev before we let him go? Quick, quick. Would you ever pay over market value for a property? Yeah, I have. Okay. So I have paid over market value for a property. Well, and, I, and both it was. So it can be because of what was out there at the time and that I could do it at the time. Okay. So if I could do it and it made sense, uh, one of them was I had a tenant available. Okay. So I had a tenant available for a property that was a little over market rent and they needed a property and this wasn't a hard luck case, like a hard luck family member, I don't deal with that. This was through my property manager um, and they wanted this building. So yeah, I paid five grand over list price. But kind of knowing that, so there I calculated it, if I bought the property and I had to do X dollars worth of work, so two to grand or whatever, to paint the property, and I had a, a month vacancy, so maybe two months vacancy, so now that's four grand right there. I went, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Five grand over, I get the tenant in, I have it, no headaches, done. So yeah, it's not that there's necessarily a no. It was a safe bet yeah. though. Yeah, very much it so. It was a safe bet. Yeah. We, um, but Ken, we paid 50K over ask on one property, knowing, I mean, it was West Heights area, mm -hmm. and uh, it was slammed on duplex conversion. It was our first one, and now $800 a month cash flow. Uh, now, and by the time we refinance, we're going to pull our down payment out and then some. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing, too, is over the last, especially in this area and Toronto, the over-asking price is almost meaningless now because asking price can be anything. So it's likely you didn't pay 50 grand over market value. You paid market value. You paid 50 grand over asking. Yeah. But, but they, were, they were likely asking 50 grand less than they should have been. Yeah. Hypothetically, in that in that scenario, so yeah. Oh, paying over asking, I'll do any day of the week these days because asking can be anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all messed up. Yeah. As a realtor, do you use that strategy, like knowing that you'll probably bring in multiple bids? It depends on the property and yeah. depends on the price range. So if it's around a four hundred thousand, if it's three fifty to four hundred, and it's in rough shape, then yeah, that strategy can work. Uh, because the reason, and it's in rough shape, is you'll get a lot of investors looking at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you'll get a lot of offers, and a lot of people do pay over. We don't, 
hear about a lot of those people in the future. <laughs> you don't. It, it's just the property. We hear about it then on the mortgage end of it when they come back three years later and they realize, oh, this was way more work than they thought and they actually haven't even started the work yet on the property and now they're three years behind and they're in so much debt they don't know what to do. I've actually seen properties so, where an yeah. investor bought it and three months later, six months later, they just want out and it's partially finished. Yeah, we had one um, uh, one property, uh, this is uh, my brother's uh, wife's uncle passed away in the property and he was a hoarder. Uh, and it actually got to the point the house was so full with stuff mm -hmm. that he was in his living room and he died on a mattress in the living room and was there for two months and nobody knew. So this place was awful. In the living room you could see the sky, giant hole up through the floor and then up through the roof. You could actually see the sky. This place was a disaster. Um, we figured, so fixed up at the time, if this was a beautiful home, it would have been 250 grand. So just take this back a few years when properties were that value. Yes. So we thought the property's worth probably 40. But we can't sell it at 40. Nobody's looking for a $40,000 house. So nobody will see it. But we thought we couldn't even make money if we buy this place at 40. Because it needs everything. So we thought, well, we can't list it at 40 because nobody will buy it. So let's list it at 100. Because then people will see it, and it sold for 150. Oh shoot! And two years later, they they so six months after they bought it, they boarded it up, and two years later, it was still boarded up. And then somebody else bought it, and it's just because they didn't realize what they were getting into. So that's where overpaying or over market value is way different than over asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just establishing your least acceptable position and knowing yeah. that that's your... Yeah. And it's cool that as an investor, I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I can put a hard line on things. I can go, no, that property is only worth 200 grand. That's all I'm willing to pay. Sell it to somebody else. I don't care. Mm -hmm. yeah. But there'll be times where I go, oh yeah, no, I don't want you to sell it to somebody else. I want it, so I'm going to pay. Yeah. yeah. I think it's different too as well. If you're buying something and then you know when it's done, let's say, you know, when it's duplex, it's going to be worth this. Yep. It's kind of like the list price is just a yeah. suggestion because you know, well, if it's listed for four and they're playing a game maybe and they're, they're tending it more, well, if you buy 425 and you put 75 in the duplex and now it's worth 550, it's like, well, did you really pay 25 grand over market? Yeah, all, kind all of like. All I'm messing with there is my profit. Am I getting 75 exactly. grand profit or am I getting 60 grand profit? Well, if I don't do it, I'm getting zero profit. So would I rather 60 grand profit than zero profit is where it gets to that point. Yeah. Cool. Spontaneous round of applause. Yeah. Right, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you all for coming out. Thank you. We appreciate it. So yeah, that's it. Everyone, you're free to go. I could talk for you for a couple minutes. <laughs> Whatever you would like.